0: Welcome to Quest with Kirk Durston. I'm your host, Sheldon Kotick. You can subscribe on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to give us five stars if you like it. If you don't like it, please tell us why. And now, Quest with Kirk Durston. Good morning, Kirk. Good afternoon, Kirk. How are you?
1: <clears throat> yeah, good morning, Sheldon. Yeah, it's lunchtime here, but um, I'm not eating lunch at the moment because I had a big breakfast. Oh, good. What was your breakfast today? Fried eggs. Three fried eggs with an enormous amount of melted butter in the pan Mm -hmm. uh, because Patty's not here. And when she's not here, sometimes I'll put extra butter in the pan. And then two, two pieces of toast and a couple of glasses of orange juice.
0: Very nice. Very nice. I just had my Starbucks... Tea, and uh, I treated myself today to a uh, sausage, cheddar, and egg sandwich. So sounds- uh, took it alone for that. Um, and
1: then That's I- much healthier than the large quantities of melted butter I drank for breakfast.
0: I don't know. Mm-hmm. I know that I I've got a feeling there's a few uh, few uh, issues with uh, <laughs> with the uh, processed stuff
1: that. Game. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Oh, wow. Maybe the embalmed that, like the embalmed the embalming fluid they use in the food there.
0: Uh, that could be, of it. course,
1: I shouldn't say that because maybe Starbucks might be thinking about sponsoring this. No, oh, so. yeah,
0: that would be good. No, uh, I um, was
1: just joking about the embalming fluid. There's yeah, no embalming. I've
0: got lots of different Starbucks things going on here, so uh, no, they could really use, use some of the money back that I've been giving them. Yeah. 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 All right. Um, yeah. So uh, I know uh, a couple of weeks ago, we uh, did some recordings. Those went up. Um, I was talking about doing all these flights to BC, looking forward to that. Yeah, I had COVID. Uh, so I went two and a, two and a bit years without, without getting it and then bam. Uh, it hit me. I've still uh, got some of the symptoms and especially the tiredness part. Uh, it's fun, that's the one that's been hitting me the hardest. But uh, I know my cough button will be used uh, probably regularly this uh, this stream. Uh, the other uh, option for sponsorships, if you're out there, uh, NyQuil or DayQuil. Um, yeah, or the VIX. Yeah. Uh, Come, come talk to me, because uh, I've been uh, spending a lot of money on you lately. Uh, yeah. Um,
1: yeah, it's going around like crazy here. It seems like everybody and their dog has it around mm-hmm. here. We just got it last week ourselves. Um, and, and,
0: uh, and you've had it before, too. You had a, this is your second bite. Well, right?
1: I didn't get tested before, but I'm mm-hmm. sure I had it before, because yeah. the symptoms last time were worse than this time. This mm-hmm. time, they were quite mild. But it was the same, you know, yeah. sore throat, congested head. But that was between Christmas and New Year's, and and that lasted for like four, four or five days. Mm-hmm. But this time, I, and I think it's because we had it before that it was just like, oh, we yeah. had it for a couple of days and it was gone. Yeah, but,
0: uh, I didn't get tested this time, but after uh, after yeah. the majority of my family got tested and showed positive, I was like, oh, yeah. I don't, I don't need I, to stick anything up my nose to know I got this. No. Thing.
1: Uh, we, got, we got tested. Here's my proof.
0: Yeah. Uh, all right. Um, so uh, I looked at the calendar today and uh, noticed that uh, something's coming up. And I don't think we planned this, but we're talking about the resurrection today. And Easter's coming up. We didn't plan that, did we?
1: No. No, that happens every year.
0: I, yeah. Uh, so I, I was just really, really impressed at how everything just lined up perfectly. Oh, you mean to, with uh, our live stream? Yeah. yeah. Like we didn't plan.
1: We didn't plan no, it. at this time. But. Yeah. It, we just thought, uh, let's talk about this. And then we were even, weren't even thinking about Easter at the time because we decided that a while back.
0: Yeah. So so, um, uh, so this yeah. should, should line up perfectly. So this week, will um, you have some evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Yeah. For people that, uh, for those of you Christians that are, "Mm, did this really happen? Um, We hopefully will be able to give you some um, boost to your faith this week, and then uh, next week we have a special guest. I don't know, Kirk. Do you want to give a little bit of a teaser of what's coming up for next week?
1: Yeah, my uh, my special, our special guest. next week is John jonathan topping and he is a specialist in a particular theory that's often advanced to explain uh away the resurrection of jesus and that is the theory that jesus never actually died on the cross different aspects of that theory one would be that he passed out before he even got on there and judas accidentally got wound up on the cross instead or um, he actually was crucified, but he passed out, and they rescued him, and uh, looked like he'd risen from the dead. When in fact, he hadn't. So, uh, there's actually quite a bit more on this than most people realize. I had not realized this—the depth of uh, the discussion in this area. He—he he is going to be with us next week, so I'm looking forward to that.
0: Awesome. I, I'm looking forward to that too. Uh, one of our desires is to uh, bring on some other people so those of you that are sick and tired of looking at me and Kirk uh, can't have somebody else to complain about um, and uh, Jonathan one of our teammates uh, we're, I'm looking forward to uh, hearing from him because he's been uh, working with us for a couple of years now and I don't I don't think I've uh, really, uh, other than listening to his podcasts and stuff, I, I haven't really been able to interact with him a whole lot. So looking forward to, uh, to next week. So it'll be same time next week. Uh, but uh, before next week is this week. And uh, we are talking about evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So um, I'm going to just let you run ahead here. And uh, actually, before we do that, you posted two reaction videos over the over the last few weeks. Yeah. Um, can you just uh, tell us a little bit about those, and and maybe talk sure. about some of the reaction to the reaction?
1: Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, this uh, t- last week, last week I uh, there's this theoretical physicist. She's a German theoretical physicist, and I I like the way she um, most of the time she'll be explaining stuff to do with physics. And I uh, really appreciate her and enjoy her, especially because she doesn't get carried away by some of the craziness in modern physics, craziness in the sense of inventing wild science fiction type scenarios. She really calls calls them for what they are. But she's also an atheist. And so she does the occasional show on things to do with God or whatever. And uh, she did a video on uh, the existence of God from the perspective of a theoretical physicist. And um, I did a response to that. Like I I thought, well, okay, I don't agree with some of the stuff she's saying here. Or actually, it's not so much that I don't agree with. It's just like she hasn't talked about some really important stuff here. And so uh, that was my reaction video last week. And then this week, um, what did I do it on? Um, oh yes, there's this English, uh, mentalist or hypnotist or illusionist by the name of Darren Brown. And he did a show uh, <clears throat> a few years back that uh, recently has surfaced again in discussion groups on online social media. And the show was, uh, he, what he did is he created or he used psychological manipulative techniques to create a religious experience Uh, for an atheist who was profoundly affected by that experience. And in his mind, he said, "Okay, so what I can demonstrate is that religious experience here comes from within. It's There's no God out there. It comes from within. And the proof of that is this experiment that he did. So I do a reaction video to that. There's quite a bit needs to be said about that particular show that he did. Uh, I tried to condense it down and then respond to that. So, uh, yeah, I think you'll find it fascinating. Uh, The woman, the atheist, is a scientist, but she seems to have a very intense experience of the love of God. And that raises questions. It raises questions uh, that maybe it's Darren Brown who might himself got fooled on this one (laughs) because, you know, sometimes God just turns the table and says, "Okay, Darren, you've You've uh, lowered this woman's guard against God. Now, I'll give her a little dose of of what unconditional love feels like. And that was her description. She says it was like all the love she's ever experienced from family and friends times a thousand. And she regarded it as all the love. She described it as all the love in the world just thrown at me. And another phrase she used was unconditional love, like things that Darren Brown hadn't suggested to her that seemed to go just way over the top. Um, I don't know how many people yet to, had to do this with before he found a really good example where this happened. Um, I don't 100% know whether the woman's an actor or not. I, I don't think she is given some of the response afterwards that she had. So, uh, anyways...
0: I know the, the, that's sort of, sort of the comments that we were getting uh, to the video where, okay, was she just an actor? Um, uh, you, you made a good point in response to that question in that um, when you're doing these reactions, you, you need to take it at face value. Like there, there isn't yeah. a, uh, yeah, there might've been an actor, but um, why don't we deal with it at face value instead of um, yeah putting negative uh, uh, or claiming claiming the person's lying because uh, yeah. if you can take it at face value, at least you're able to have the conversation. Where
1: exactly, like uh, one of the key points in arguing, I think it was Zeno, the Greek philosopher, who started promoting this method of argumentation. Is you don't start with what you think is true; you start with what the other person thinks is true. And the, the majority of people online are accepting this as true, and excuse me there is some reason to believe that you know she was legit Uh, then that's where we should start let's just accept that at face value and then we'll work from there but if we just simply say oh you know that's not real and everybody thinks it's real well then they just think I got my head in the sand I'm denying you know I'm you know just evading the issue and that that is very unproductive.
0: Yeah, and uh, it's not like uh, social media these days uh, needs more unproductivity. Um, <laughs> uh, all right, well, let's start uh, start down the uh, road of um, the resurrection. So uh, we're a week away from the celebration of Good Friday and um, and the resurrection on the Sunday after.
1: Mm -hmm. Those
0: of us who are Christians, it's been a celebration. We often take it just at face value that this happened, but those that don't believe, obviously they would have some, some arguments against this. So, Let's start start down the evidence for it and then I think next week we'll get into more of the arguments. But uh yeah. let's let's go into the evidence. Uh you've you've done a few videos on this already. Yeah. Um, okay and so. so I'll put the links in the in the um description after this uh mm. the stream is over. But uh why why don't you just go right into it and uh I'll throw some questions at you as uh as we go.
1: Sure. Okay, so uh, we began with, you know, evidence that there's a creator for the universe and that the universe is designed. And then the question arose, well, did the creator of the universe ever step into human history and interact with us? And, <clears throat> you know, when you look around uh, for people who claim to be God, there's there's not that many people who actually claim to be God and, and appear to be relatively, um, let's say, psychologically well-adjusted people. So... Uh, but there is one in history who absolutely did, and that was Jesus of Nazareth. He not only created, and back then there were tons of gods, Greek gods, the Roman gods, pagan gods, there was the Judeo-Christian God. And uh, so he didn't just say, I am God, he actually used the name of the God that he said he is. I am was his name. And every time he'd say that, people would fall down and, uh, you know, not fall down, but uh, well, one time they did, but most of the time they'd want to kill him for blasphemy. So they they clearly understood his claim that he was claiming to be God. But the question we should always ask is, well, why should I believe you're telling the truth? Why? What? What? I mean, anybody can claim to be God if they want to be so bold as to do so. But that doesn't mean I just have to believe that they're telling the truth. And Jesus said, is provided there were two highly unusual and unique uh, lines of warrant for taking, for believing that he was telling the truth, for at least assigning a high degree of credibility.
0: It looks like Kirk has, uh, has dropped. So, uh, we will just give them a chance to come back here. Um, those okay. of you, sorry, Kirk, we lost you there for a yeah. few seconds. I noticed.
1: I noticed that. Um, okay, so I'll back up just a minute.
0: Yeah. So uh, while you're while you're rewinding, um, please leave a question or feedback in the chat. We want to be able to respond to you, as well as uh, hit the like button. It helps uh, Google, uh, Facebook, or youtube know that uh people are interested in what we're talking about and uh subscribe uh congratulations kirk on hitting over a thousand subscribers that's uh Mm -hmm. that's awesome and uh yeah so now that you're around uh go for
1: it yeah okay so uh first of all the point i was making i'm not sure where everybody got lost here or where i lost but anyways was that Jesus claimed to be God, and there's two highly unusual lines of warrant for thinking he might be the real deal. And the first is all these ancient prophecies pertaining to the Christ or the Messiah that were made centuries before he came, and we know they were made centuries. We actually got uh, fragments and manuscripts, uh, ancient documents called the Dead Sea Scrolls, some of which predate the time of Christ, that contain... These prophecies in them, the messianic prophecies that are in the Old Testament. And so, in in essence, Christianity is the only religion in the history of the world that begins thousands of years before its leader shows up. All other religions are different. The leader shows up, charismatic, starts doing things, and uh, then you get a religion. But this is the opposite. The second thing is, excuse me for a minute. (coughs) Hmm. Hot line. Okay. I think the host has muted my mic. There we go. The second thing was the resurrection from the dead. So all this to say is that the resurrection from the dead, the resurrection of Jesus did not take place in a vacuum. What I mean by that is that there were already some highly unusual things about Jesus of Nazareth before the resurrection from the dead. But today let's look at the resurrection from the dead. So The interesting thing about this is that for the average person out there who's never looked at this and maybe doesn't believe in the existence of, uh, or the truth of Christianity, uh, it would just seem like, oh, another conspiracy theory, okay? Now, the beauty of this, okay, I got some people that I know that are shoving conspiracy theories at me on a regular basis. And the interesting thing about a conspiracy theory is that sometimes a conspiracy theory right at the beginning sounds possible, believable, but then you look into it and you start to dig down and start to try and find the backing for this and the evidence for this. And that's when it all starts unraveling and coming apart. So what happens when we look at the resurrection of jesus of nazareth what we find is that the opposite happens so at first you just hear oh jesus rose from the dead and and the scholars are divided whether it's 30 a.d or 33 a.d jesus rose from the dead oh yeah okay another conspiracy theory but when you look into it you find oh there's a lot more behind this than i ever realized and it's pretty impressive I don't know why I'm throats dry. Maybe it's this hot lemon. Ah, I should have made tea instead. So um, let me pause there, because what I'd like to do is I'd next like to go into some of the the detailed evidence.
0: Okay, so like what what you've been talking about is Jesus is claiming to be God, Mm-hmm. He's there's some things that have been happening already to say that he's not your normal human. Yeah. Um, we can go into stuff like uh, the 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 Roman leadership uh, at his birth <laughs> took out a, a lot of babies mm-hmm. to try and prevent this guy from even being born. Yep. Um. There's there's a lot of um, miracles that that were talked about in the um, in the Bible attributed to Jesus, and he's claimed to be God. There's no dispute in that, is there?
1: Well, people will insist that he never claimed to be God, but I mean, uh, that's where that's where. Okay, what's your evidence? Why why are you saying that? Because there's plenty of evidence that he did make the claim in fact that's probably one of the big reasons <clears throat> the jewish leaders decided they needed to get him crucified because he was having an amazing impact on israel at the time he was claiming to be god and they were they they actually in fact he asked the question which jesus says which one of my miracles are Why are you asking? Why are you trying to kill me for which one of my miracles? And they said, Not for that, but because you, being a man, make yourself out to be God. That was the the Pharisees' um, response to him. Now, he did a lot of amazing miracles, and there's historical records of people talking about those on into the up to the end of the first century, even, but he did a ton of just amazing miracles. So some people would be, would be to, uh, one response is, well, maybe he was a magician, you know, like Darren Brown. Maybe he was just an illusionist. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I put some honey in here, Serpa, but it <clears throat> wasn't enough, I guess. <clears throat> so, um, okay. I've been to see some illusionists. I always find them fascinating. And sometimes when I watch these guys, uh, I guess it's been mostly men. They're, I know there's female illusionists as well. I'm looking at this and I thought, wow, that looks real to me. I mean, if I was not a, if I didn't believe in, if I believed in magic, I would say that's it right there. But I don't believe in magic and I know that they're doing tricks. So what happens if Jesus was just an illusionist back then? Well, the thing is, is the kind of miracles that he did are the kind that no illusionist today does. And that is he made blind people see. He made people who were crippled from birth walk. Uh, He even raised the occasional dead person once in a while. Now, of course, you could have today people put plants in the audience who pretend they're blind or pretend they're crippled. But back then, in these villages he was in, everybody knew these people for decades since they were born. And there wasn't a possibility of being able to pull that one off. But then he said, uh, actually, anybody can do these miracles. And that was the amazing thing about Jesus he didn't um, go around um, claiming to be somebody uh, or just getting all the mileage you could out of doing miracles. In fact, he tried to keep that on a low profile a lot. But he says, anybody can do these things. If you had faith as a mustard seed, you could do stuff like this. And he said, the real reason, the real evidence I'm going to give is, is that uh, he would die and he would rise again in three days. So uh, that happened. And the scholars are not sure whether it was 30 A.D. or 33 A.D. Uh, they go back and forth. I, I don't really know myself. I go back and forth myself as to which it was. So the question is, what evidence is there that Jesus actually rose from the dead in 30 or 33 A.D.? And this is where it gets very interesting. And what I'd like to point out, first of all, the first line of evidence would be what we might call a gigantic explosion in the first century of people, thousands believing he'd risen from the dead, exploding upwards from ground zero, which was Jerusalem. So within within about within two months, there were many, many thousands of people in Jerusalem who believed he'd risen from the dead. Now, <coughs> you could. Um, You you might imagine this happening, although it's never happened before in history or since, where you would get thousands of people believing somebody rose from the dead in such a short period of time. But um, what makes it more unusual is that the explosion happened within the context of strict monotheistic religious belief. In other words, they weren't looking for a new religion they already had one. In fact, Christianity is just a continuation of what we see in the Old Testament. Um, the, the and there's a good question. And I'll come back to that one. Why didn't the Jewish elite believe Jesus was the Messiah when he performed miracles that only a Messiah could do? Uh, that, that's a very good question. But let me just finish this point, and then we'll get to that. Um, where was I? The oh yes, explosion of belief in Jerusalem. And uh, they believed that there would be a resurrection, but it would be at the end of history, not this. This was totally new. So it didn't occur within a religious vacuum. It occurred within a very, very highly developed religion. And suddenly you have this, and people are believing that he'd risen from the dead. And it explodes outwards, and it explodes outwards so rapidly that according to the uh, Roman historian Cornelius Tacitus, in his book, The Annals, which covered, he was a first century Roman historian, and it covers Roman history from A.D. 14 to about A.D. 68. He was no sympathizer of Christianity. In fact, he called it a disease. But he wrote that at the time of the great fire in Rome in 64 A.D., probably not known as Nero's fire, uh, Nero actually blamed the Christians in Rome for the fire, and he arrested... Uh, what Tacitus described as vast numbers, translated to English, in Latin it's multitudo inguinis. vast numbers of Christians in the city of Rome. So you had within 31 years, roughly within 30 years of Christ's death and resur- alleged resurrection, an explosion of thousands within, many thousands within two months. Exploding outwards throughout the Roman Empire, such that 31 years later, there were vast multitudes of Christians in Rome itself. And then uh, 80 years later, we have uh, a a letter from the Roman governor of the province, Bithynia and Pontus. And this Roman governor had been killing and torturing Christians, just like he, he was trying to get rid of them. And so he wrote to the Emperor Trajan asking, what should I do about all these people? And um, he described Christian as a, Christianity as a contagion, a, kind of like an outbreak, a pandemic of religious, a new, this new religion where people believed Jesus of Nazareth had risen from the dead. That was the central, and still to this day is, the central tenet of, of Christianity is that Jesus died and physically rose from the dead. But it had s- populated that, that Roman province of Pontus and Bithynia so intensely that that Pliny the Younger wrote that the temples of the Roman gods had and translated to English and quoted almost become deserted it had a massive impact in the roman empire so if a person wishes to deny that jesus actually rose from the dead they have a lot of they have to come up with a an amazing story to account for this, an amazing story, to account for this explosion such as thousands of people within weeks believe he's risen from the dead in Jerusalem, and then it just explodes outwards such that within 70 years, it had reached as far east as India by the Apostle Thomas.
0: Now, in, in today's uh, world, uh, somebody could post something on Twitter that can go viral, and uh, it can get a lot of people believing it, um, and it could be a complete falsehood, um, fake news, misinformation. Mm-hmm. In that day, they didn't have Twitter. They didn't have the internet. Um, they had some runners. They had some messengers that would uh, do marathons <laughs> and uh, stuff, but... How does this news get out there and is believed so fast?
1: Yeah, well, and that is that is an excellent question. I haven't forgotten your question, Serpa, either. We'll get to that as well. Uh, that is an excellent question. <clears throat> um, I find, okay, there's a few things could be said about that. First of all, on online social media today, you already have, Believers, believers in anything, anything you want to throw out there. There's already a pool of people out there that believe that. So all you need to do is supply them with something that uh, they like, something that fits with their preconceived beliefs, and away they go. They buy it. They, you know It's totally right. No questions asked. But in this case, there wasn't a already pool of believers who believed Jesus was going to rise from the dead. His own disciples didn't even believe. They would rise from dead in three days, and that's recorded in the Gospels. And when you record that, normally when you're inventing religion and you're the guy inventing it, you want to make yourself look good. You know, oh yeah, we people doubted, but we believed, so to speak. But that's not what they write. It's actually quite embarrassing. They were in hiding after the crucifixion, and uh, then the initial reports he would risen from the dead were they met it out with disbelief. And so right off the bat. You see, even amongst the disciples, they didn't have this preconceived uh, it, um, um, belief that he would rise from dead. Certainly, General Jerusalem didn't have it, and the Roman Empire didn't have that. So this is a, quite a different thing, but there's something even better than that. And that is a very early story that folk, that's began to circulate within days. And um, I think this is a very important story. Uh, but just before I look at that, maybe I just want to address uh, the question. Why didn't the Jewish elite believe that Jesus was the Messiah when he performed miracles only the Messiah could do? We are given a reason there in the Gospels, and that is that the it's stated that the Pharisees were afraid. The, the Roman occupation of, of Israel at the time had allowed a certain amount of power to... Um, the Pharisees and to the Jewish leaders. So they had a certain amount of power and jurisdiction there. And it stated that they were afraid that the Romans would take away their power if the Romans got wind of this kind of Messiah figure that's rising up and people starting to follow the Messiah rather than the emperor. So that was their fear. But it's got to be deeper than this. I mean, it's got to be deeper than this. It's quite astonishing. For example... Uh, when Jesus rose, raised Lazarus from the dead, he'd been dead for four days. And as the people in the story pointed out, he's not going to smell very good right now. I mean, he was well dead, but he raised him from the dead, and that exploded throughout Jerusalem. And the Pharisees decided we're going to have to kill Lazarus again, because people are believing in Jesus as the Messiah. So in general, that was the response of the Pharisees. And um, it seemed to be they love power and they were totally blinded, totally. It didn't count for anything that he could do these miracles. Now, the idea here is seems to be that. And Jesus himself said that it's not about evidence. It's not about, you know, somebody rising from the dead. He says, uh, that even if someone were to rise from the dead, he's telling us in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, uh, they wouldn't believe because belief is not what God's looking for, just the belief that a certain set of facts are true. He's looking for allegiance, faith, to put our faith in him as everything that he said he was. And this is what the Pharisees were not willing to do, despite any amount of miracles being done in front of them. In fact, it's just incredible they always oppose his miracles in general. Now, specifically, there were exceptions. Um, uh, Joseph of Arimathea seemed to be a member of the Sanhedrin. He, he was a believer. Uh, Nicodemus appears to have become a believer in Jesus Christ as well. So there were exceptions to the rule, and there are always exceptions to the rule. People who actually take a second look or took a second look at Jesus and said, look, there is... This is this, this is this is the Messiah. The other major beef they had is that popular at the time was the belief that the Messiah was going to overthrow all the Roman government. He would be a political leader. He would rule the world. And uh, this was their notion, a political leader. In fact, at one point, they were going to take Jesus and make him king by force. <laughs> They're <laughs> going to force him to be king. But he uh, slipped away. So in general, there were these other factors at play. They wanted power. They had their human pride. <clears throat> this wasn't the kind of Messiah they had anticipated, but there were exceptions: Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea.
0: And I, I think that idea of the Messiah being, <laughs> being a political savior for the Jew for the Jews at the time it, is a lot of the drive uh, behind. Uh, saying no, Jesus can't be the person because he's not doing that. the The Messiah is going to come in, and he's going to clean house, and he's going to make us um, powerful again. and And uh, so, when the the Pharisees are are rejecting him, it's a lot of that. Well, we have the power, um, and because he's not. The Messiah we think he is—he's obviously blasphemous, and that's why yeah. when when he's when they're saying, "Well, it's got to be Satan powering this guy now," um, <laughs> yeah, Jesus's reaction to that—he uh, uh, he didn't pull any punches there. But and that's
1: um, interesting because they did not deny that he did miracles. We see that in the Talmud. Mm-hmm. We see that in the Gospels. we are accusing him of doing miracles by the power of Satan, but in the Talmud. The same thing is stated, that he was guilty of sorcery. And so it's, um, I guess they were able to acknowledge the existence of these miracles or the occurrence of that. They just, in their mind, says, this isn't how we figure it should work. And therefore, this guy serves Satan. But you know, just as you were talking there, uh, Sheldon, it reminded me of something even today. Even today, uh, people and Christians. Christians tend to want to see the government as their savior. They want to lobby the government. They want they think good government will Will uh, you know we we just get this party elected. We're off to the you know, we're gonna be good And uh, I don't know I have lived long enough to be very skeptical of that because there is a king He is coming. It is Jesus the second time he comes. It's not as a babe in a manger that's when that's when he rules the world. But until then, his kingdom is actually growing in this world. But I need to cut back to what I think is some very interesting evidence right from square one for the resurrection of Jesus. And it's found in the Gospel of Matthew. And in the Gospel of Matthew, we have an account where uh, the angels appeared. And uh, at the resurrection, there were some angels, there was some supernatural stuff happening at the tomb, and there was a Roman guard there. Now, a Roman guard consisted of a minimum of four men, and often it would be uh, a, in groups of four. You could have three groups of four, but it would be a minimum of four men. And uh, scared the living daylights out of the guard. It says that some of the guard came back into the city and they reported to the chief priests what they had seen. And so the chief priests uh, had a consultation there, and they gave a large sum of money, a large sum of money to the soldiers, and and you were to say, the disciples came by night and stole him while we were sleeping. And then they point out that if this gets the governor's ears, we'll win him over and keep you out of trouble. <clears throat> And then there's a key verse here. It says, they took the money and did as they had instructed. And this story, it says, was widely spread amongst the Jews and is to this day. Now, that is a very interesting story. And it actually provides us with some very strong evidence for three things. Number one, the location of the tomb was known. Number two, it had been guarded by a Roman guard consisting of a minimum of four Roman soldiers and number three the tomb was empty on the third day so it's not like uh, we're getting a story about something that happened a long time ago and gradually you're starting to get people buying the story no we're getting this happening right from the third day of after this execution so let's pause for a minute minute um, why should we take this story seriously well um, basically, we have some possibilities here. <clears throat> the story actually, possibility number one is that this story wasn't circulating in Jerusalem. The story that the disciples had stole the body while the guards were sleeping, and that's why the tomb is empty. So option number one is that this is a complete fabrication made up by, the, by Matthew when he wrote his gospel. Well, um, the problem with that is if this story wasn't even circulating, And Matthew's trying to promote the idea that Jesus rose from the dead. It's actually very counterproductive to supply another explanation as to how the tomb got empty. Uh, Usually historians, when they're examining ancient writings, they're trying to, to figure out, is this true? Did this really happen or not? And there's one thing we can call that's been called the criterion of embarrassment, and that is... If you see something in an ancient account that is actually embarrassing or counterproductive to the ancient writer who wrote that account, then it's probably true because there's no reason to stick it in there. It's embarrassing to even stick it in there, and it would be better off if you didn't mention it. That's basically the criterion of embarrassment. So when you see this in Matthew's Gospel, um, the option number one is is that he was just making that story up for, on a whim. It, nobody actually, that wasn't circulated. He just made it up and put it in his gospel that the disciples stole the body while, while the guards were sleeping. Well, that is so counterproductive to his trying to promote the idea or explaining the idea that Jesus actually rose. There's It's just insane. There's no reason to put it in there. It's absurd. So we can rule out, and I think any, that, that, most historians, if not all of them, upon reading this story would say it's a highly unlikely Matthew just made this up and stuck it in there. So where does this story come from? Well, there's option two. There's only, there is one good reason to stick it in your gospel if you're writing the gospel uh, account of Christ and his resurrection. The good reason is if there actually was this story widely circulating in Jerusalem, if there is another story there. So um, the only, in fact, the only rational reason to stick that in there is that this was actually circulating in Jerusalem at the time. And so we have to grant that it would have been, we have to take it at face value. And that way it shows three things. The tomb was, no, a location of the tomb was known. It had been guarded by Roman soldiers that it was empty on the third day. That does not prove that Jesus rose from the dead. But it actually provides some very good evidence supporting that belief that he had risen from the dead. Now, Jesus himself appeared to many people over a period of next several weeks uh, to groups as large as 500 at a time. And and the Apostle Paul knew, seemed to know those people because he knew that some had died by the time he wrote his letter to the Corinthians, but most were still alive. So... This would explain, this would exp- go a long ways to explaining why people in Jerusalem, many thousands within weeks, believed Jesus had risen from the dead. First of all, the tomb was known, it was empty, and it had been guarded by Roman soldiers.
0: And that, that, last, that last one, guarded by Roman soldiers, is a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. the Roman soldiers don't just let anyone overpower them. Uh, especially <laughs> the the Jews of the time, um, uh, they would be way more scared of their leadership than uh, than the leadership of the Jews. So they they weren't going to get convinced to oh just let let those guys th- through. Uh, yeah. <laughs>
1: but... Well, in fact, we have an incident by another Roman, Polybius that gives us some insight as to what happened to a roman soldier if he fell asleep at his post at night and uh in his work called histories he has a a work uh, some writings that are known by the scholars as histories and it was written around 120 bc before the time of christ he records that the penalty for a roman soldier who fell asleep on duty was to be beaten to death with clubs and stones by the other soldiers that was the penalty. Very harsh, very strict. And so with penalties like that running around, um, I mean, it would, it would produce extra attention to not falling asleep, especially on the night watches. And with four guys there, it's easier to stay awake with four guys um, chucking pebbles at each other, little ones, rather than fall asleep and get beaten to death with clubs and big rocks. So the idea that they fell asleep is uh, not very plausible, not very plausible. All four of them, really. And then you got the disciples heaving and grunting to push aside this massive rock, Try not to wake the Roman guards who are all passed out here. That, that does strain credulity. And then running off with the body, but leaving the wrappings behind. No. It's, uh, it's much more likely, since the story was spread in Jerusalem, that we need to take it seriously that um, the tomb was known, it was empty, and it had been guarded by Roman soldiers. So now we got something interesting, especially if Jesus starts showing up like he does over the next several weeks.
0: <clears throat> so we're, we're at the space where we, we would have to say he's either either didn't die. And he escaped somehow or um, he died and is resurrection resurrected. Like, Mm -hmm. I I think we'll get into that first one next week a little bit more, but um, you have to deny history to to basically doubt that. Uh, Jesus died and rose again.
1: Well, there's no rational, like, basically, it's easy for people today to say, oh, it didn't happen. Okay, let's, let's work with that. Let's work with the idea that it never happened. So what is your explanation for this explosion of many thousands of people within weeks spreading throughout the Roman Empire over the next months and years to the extent that they cannot beat this out. They're dying for their faith. They're being tortured and killed by Nero and by uh, Pliny the Younger, as they document in Cornelius Tacitus.
0: And they, they're uh, leaving their own religion. Uh, the Jews are leaving their religion under, under penalty of death as well. Like It's not just the Romans that are fighting it. It's the Pharisees that are fighting this.
1: I might describe it. Okay, so that's leaving their religion. That's an interesting thing, because at that point, Judaism branches. It takes two different roads. One is the highly legalistic road of the Pharisees, which has evolved today into what we call modern Judaism. The other branch, and they run together for the next number of years, probably up until around 70 A.D., these two branches are entwined and moving together in Judaism. The other branch is, oh, they wouldn't see that as leaving their They would see, yes, Jesus is the Messiah spoken of in the Tanakh, in, the, in what we call the Old Testament. So it's actually a continuation of authentic Judaism or this, this religion, a continuation, but if you deny that he is the Messiah, then that's when Judaism really changes, especially at 70 AD with the destruction of the temple. And that's the other branch of, of, uh, of Judaism. So early Christians were almost all Jews. The apostles were Jews. Jesus was a Jew. And it wasn't until around 70 AD that the, when the siege of Jerusalem began and was momentarily lifted for a bit, that Jesus had already told his followers that when you see Jerusalem surrounded by the armies... This had been prophesied by Christ some some 30-some-odd years earlier, actually 40-some years earlier. He says, flee Jerusalem. And so the Christians remembered that. The Jewish believers remembered that. And they left Jerusalem in mass at that point. And I get this from um, some, I think it was Max Dumont, on uh, the history of the Jews. But anyways, uh, the Christians fled, and, and that created a schism. the other Jews remaining in Jerusalem saw the Jewish believers as betrayers of the Jewish people because they fled the city. There wasn't much advantage to staying in the city as we know now. Um, uh, Who is it? Um, Josephus. No. Yeah, Josephus. Looking at the writings of Josephus, who was there at the fall of Jerusalem, We can estimate that roughly 3 million Jews died in Jerusalem during the siege, mostly from internal fightings within the walls and from disease and pestilence, and also some from the Romans. So that's kind of like the beginnings of of Christianity today, this gigantic explosion. But a person who denies this, well, it's kind of like a massive explosion happens out there, you know, like. 400 meters away, and somebody says, whoa, what was that? What did that? And, and I say, nothing, nothing, that nothing happened. Well, <laughs> it's not very convincing, and I would have to say that the person who denies that Jesus physically rose from the dead has uh, a lot of explaining to do. There's a lot of fabrication that has to happen of some sort of creative storytelling and that creed of storytelling only exists. This is the interesting thing. When you have historical facts, somehow when you want to deny those historical facts, you have to live between the facts. You have to say, well, it didn't say anything about Jesus maybe not going to France, so let's have him go to France, you know, and some wild stories like that. And these stories are conspiracy theories. They—they they, That's the major difference. When you actually investigate the alternative stories to try and explain away this massive explosion of belief that Jesus had risen from the dead, when you actually investigate those other stories, the more you look at it, there's just nothing there. They just start to disintegrate and fall apart, exactly like conspiracy theories. So you have two stories. One, denying the resurrection, which have all the earmarks of conspiracy theories. And uh, who was that guy? Uh, Dan Brown wrote a book a number of years ago that just got famous, and people just bought it. Just like believed it um what was it uh da vinci code, uh, da vinci code yeah da vinci code okay set your brain yeah, good
0: book like
1: it was good, good. I, read it. I read fiction i read
0: good i enjoyed the movie
1: i even gave seminars on the book actually mm-hmm. looking at what history actually says doing fact checking now, if you're going to do fact-checking on that book, it just disintegrates all over the place. But as far as writing a good book, I really enjoyed it. It was fast-paced. And, but it's a total conspiracy theory, just 100% total conspiracy theory that all starts unraveling once you start doing fact-checking. But for the theory that Jesus actually rose from the dead, when you investigate that, wow, totally different story. When you start looking into it, you'll find there's a lot... There's all these other accounts that have to do with it and things that back that up, the evidence and so forth.
0: So, we got a few more minutes here. Is there any other evidences that you want to get into today before we get into uh, some of the uh, arguments next week with Jonathan?
1: Well, okay, there's the resurrection appearances. So, um, over the next. 40 days after the resurrection of Jesus, there were many people who that Christ appeared to and not just individuals. Like you will get uh, stories today where maybe Jesus or an angel appears to an individual, but there's maybe it happened. Maybe it didn't. There's just no way to back that up because it's just to an individual. But in this case, we have Jesus Jesus appearing to groups, his, his 12 disciples, to larger numbers. And then even to Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that he appeared to at one time to a group as large as 500 at one time, 500 people at one time. And then towards the end of the first century, you have references to these, these resurrection appearances. So when you have a, a appearances of Jesus, Again, you have to explain this away. Okay, so why did so many people believe they were seeing the risen Christ, physically risen Christ? And this is where another guy by the name of, ah, um, oh, name escapes me. What's his hold on here? Yes, The Resurrection of Jesus by, by um, Michael R. Lacona. So, I mean, he gets some criticism in different places here. Uh, because he tends to um, be very conservative of what he'll grant as evidence, so that a lot of Christians will say, "What about this and that? What about the consensus views of so many academics that say, you know, all this extra stuff?" He doesn't use that, and actually, I appreciate that because the case that he puts together then I think is is more robust. It can't be challenged by people who say, "Well." Those five articles of evidence used over there, nobody grants that. I don't buy that, you know. So um, he looks at the different theories. There's about six or seven that he examines and very meticulously says, okay, how do these theories explain the historical facts? And by the time he's done the book, and it's tough, I mean, it's 700 pages, I think, including the bibliography at the back end, Uh, extremely well-referenced. But by the time he finishes, none of the theories stand up. The explanatory power, there's only one theory that has the explanatory power needed to both explain the evidence, also explains other things we weren't looking to explain, and uh, we don't need to make stuff up. And that seems to be that Jesus physically rose from the dead. All the other theories, most of them sir circulate around more like, well, maybe it was kind of like a spiritual experience that people had, and so forth. There are a number of theories that you can look at in detail in this book.
0: That would be a very interesting theory. It's a spiritual thing, because then that would involve a supernatural event occurring anyway.
1: Yeah, but if his body was still... The problem with some of these is that if there was a general consensus that the location of the tomb was known, it was empty on the third day after being guarded by Roman soldiers. Um, You see the spiritual appearances, you would still have the body in the grave. So the spiritual appearances don't explain how the tomb got empty. Hmm. And no, it doesn't prove that Jesus rose from the dead, but it's pretty good evidence for it. So Uh,
0: Serp has got another comment here. Uh, The claims of most religions are private. I want them to trust my private version. The claims of Christianity are public. I want you to trust what I did publicly. J. Warner
1: Wallace. That is a very good point, Serpa. Thank you for bringing that up. A very good point. This is amazing because when you look at all the other world religions, they tend to happen in private, personal visions that were occurring in a cave or in some forest somewhere. And then later on, the custodian of these private visions, there's it's, there's not a lot of history to check out there. When it comes to Jesus, on the other hand, you have a very public figure who did a lot of things in front of thousands and tens of thousands of people. And the resurrection is, uh, well, you go check the tomb. Everybody says it's empty now. It'd been, I mean, they might say that disciples stole the body where the guards were sleeping, and other people might say, really like the guards are fell asleep did they (laughs) and they might have a hard time believing that but the bottom line is that it is a very public ministry the origins and roots of christianity were very very public and what that does is it gives us a lot of history and archaeology to go and look at whereas with the other world religions we're often that it's pretty much absent
0: yeah and and even in atheism, there's a lot of faith needed to believe um, that it all happened just by chance or it, all the the odds are against it happening. Yet we believe that wow. it, it, it all just happened that way um, because we can cannot believe in God. We, we, we just can't go there. And so as we, as we look at the evidence, it's, we can prove a lot but there's still going to be faith there's still faith for all of this it's just what is your faith going to lock into because
1: uh yeah Yeah, i would say the preponderance of evidence is on the side of authentic christianity now as you pointed out faith is still required and what you mean what that means is that we can't prove with 100% certainty so that no faith whatsoever is required. No, we have a stack of evidence here. <clears throat> the alternative view has, well, pretty much nothing. And uh, still on that stack of evidence, it's, it seems to indicate that God has interacted with human civilization and he fulfilled the ancient prophecies. He did rise again from the dead, which had also been prophesied. So we have a very good reason to believe that this is the Messiah prophesied for thousands of years, but it still requires an action point on our behalf. We're going to have to decide, um, am I going to believe this is true? And if I am, do I want to put my faith in Jesus Christ and God? Now, putting your faith in somebody, for example, I would say like we have a prime minister here in Canada and I know he exists. I, I, you don't I've seen plenty of evidence that he actually exists but do I have faith in him? Well that's a whole nother step. Um, I, I, <laughs> you have to be pretty good pretty good politician uh, and there are some good ones out there but to put your faith in a person is a whole nother level up than just simply believing they exist. And many people think that it's all about believing that God exists. No. It's all about whether you'll put your faith in Jesus Christ as God and who He is and everything that He said He'd do for us, as far as giving us eternal life, forgiveness. For things that's a whole another ballgame, and,
0: and that's that's the important piece behind all of this happening. He didn't do it just so he could say, uh, "I'm real." That's not why he died that's not why he was resurrected. There was a plan involved here, mm-hmm. and uh, I know we'll get into that a, a little bit later, but if you are watching this and you're and you're saying, okay, but what's the point of all of this uh please reach out we'd love to have that conversation with you individually if uh if you um, are are trying to figure out what what is the point of all this because um <sighs> Just my personal uh, thoughts on this is I don't know why we are all here if it's not what God set up for us. like it, I do I don't understand the reason for living if if it isn't what um, God has set up here because man, this world is not fun no it is no.
1: And in fact that's another case of if you like you mentioned an atheist still requires faith and i know that they get upset sometimes when we say that but and, and and i would break that into two it requires faith and denialism the faith that an atheist requires is that they have to put their faith in the narratives to explain how we got here uh, and their their narratives their creative stories and they have to put their faith in that despite the fact we can't reproduce those We can't reproduce, you know, those narratives to see if they're true or not. So they end up putting their faith in the narratives, and that's where the faith comes in. But then denialism steps in when it comes to the evidence for Jesus of Nazareth rising from the dead. At that point, they have to deny uh, just basically that this actually happened. Now, I I don't want to lump all atheists into one category because there's actually a lot of different categories of atheists, and some are are, um, genuinely not trying to deny things or looking into things and they could be my future brother in Christ someday or sister in Christ. So it's, uh, I don't mean to paint them all with the same brush cause that's not the case.
0: And, and some genuinely have questions Oh, they're... and, and, and are, are searching out yeah. some genuinely just refuse to, um, believe in the evidence. Um, And at the, at the end of the day, it's going to come down to control. Um, do I want to give up control of Mm -hmm. my life to somebody who, if they created the earth and they say, here's what the, here's what you need to believe. Here's what, here's what the rules are. Mm Um, well, it, it involves the loss of control.
1: I think control is an illusion. I think the older I get, the less I see, hey, I got no control over the financial <laughs> markets. I don't have any control of what country invades what other country. If somebody wants to toast us with a nuke. Uh, I, not much I can do about it. And so, uh, but it has it is enormously, is an enormous sense of security for me to know that there is a God who is actually presiding over human history and he does blow the whistle in the end and says, okay, that's it. No more of this kind of stuff. Now, some people would say, Well, you believe in God because it makes you feel good. But my response is, no, I think it I it makes me feel good because there actually is a God who will do this. In other words, the ability to feel good with regard to God is a is a reason or evidence that such a God exists, that this is not just wishful thinking of some imaginary being, but there actually is one and, that we've been designed to have a relationship with.
0: And the New Testament is very clear. It, it is our hope. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it makes us feel good. Yeah, because it is the only hope we have. Yeah. Because in the midst of all the suffering on this planet, in the midst of everything going um, against the idea of utopia it doesn't matter how hard you try you're not going to get utopia on this planet the way it is uh uh, their only hope we have is um in that resurrection at the end and um so uh we're a little bit longer than we normally go uh but i've really enjoyed the conversation thank you for those of you that have uh uh, chatted with us uh, don't forget to like and subscribe and hit the bell to be notified of future streams uh, we will be back next thursday with a special guest and talking about uh, some of the um, other objections that people uh, have had uh, to the resurrection and we'll get into that if you are if you're thinking hey i have my own objections or i I've done the studies. I don't believe in the resurrection. I don't believe in Jesus. Here's why. Please post them. We want to, we want to have those conversations because at the end, we, we do want to find out the truth. And so, um, if you've got a really good rejection, please tell us, uh, we want to have those conversations. So, uh, all right. Any last, uh, comments, Kirk?
1: Uh, no, uh, other than I'm looking forward to our guest next week. And if you, uh, Like these videos, check out my other videos on the YouTube channel. Give them a thumbs up, subscribe, and pass them on to your friends if you enjoy them. Awesome. We will see you in a week. Bye for now.